Welcome to episode four of the Upper 90. I'm Sam Culp, back here on the WMUC Sports Network of Podcasts, talking all things Premier League with you today. A lot of interesting games to get into coming off the international break. The matches this week absolutely did not disappoint. A lot of top-of-the-table clashes that I'm going to get into later, so let's get into it. Not going to waste any more time, and we'll start off, as we do every week, with some quick hits. There's really only one big story to talk about off the pitch this week um, as it relates to the Premier League, and it's, it's, a, it's a major, major development um, in the season that is definitely going to change the course of things. So the, uh, the Prime Minister and the British Parliament a couple days ago approved the return of fans to sporting events in England. It's massive news, um, and it's going to change the, the course of the Premier League season. Uh, right now, the plan is for up to 4,000 spectators to be allowed to attend Premier League games in a lower uh, risk area. So the way England does their system, they have different tiers, Tier 1 being the lowest, Tier 3 being the highest. So 4,000 spectators uh, in those Tier 1 areas, which is the majority of England right now, um, actually the, the highest risk spots, uh, There's uh, London is in Tier 3, so they're not going to have as many fans right now. Uh, the the plan is to have no fans in those tier three areas. Four thousand, or I'm sorry, two thousand in the tier two areas, and then in the tier one areas, four thousand spectators to be allowed. Um, the other tier three area, other than London, that uh has a multitude of Premier League clubs, uh, is the Manchester area. So obviously United City, um, and a couple other clubs in that area probably aren't going to have fans right now off the bat. But it's still massive, massive news. Uh, for the course of the Premier League season, finally getting fans back. Uh, it's a big deal. We, we, we've already seen uh, the home field advantage just completely taken out of the Premier League. There is no home field advantage, really, um, and, and especially for the clubs that use that home field advantage there to uh, to their benefit, like Liverpool, um, even the some of the smaller clubs, like Fulham. Fulham has that great home crowd at Craven Cottage that they're missing this year. Um, Leeds, another good example, one of the best crowds in the Premier League without fans this year. So so they're going to get uh, some of their supporters back. And even though uh, the London clubs are still not going to have fans for a little bit, it's it's a major, major uh, development in this Premier League season. I, I've talked about it on previous podcasts. Just the, 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 the other thing with having spectators in the stands is that they hold the players accountable. Um, whether that's through booing, whether that's, uh, you know, sometimes things get a little bit testy in the crowds, you know, it makes a difference, especially uh, for the struggling clubs. Manchester City is a good example right now. You're telling me that if there weren't, you know, 50,000 fans in in Etihad that, uh, you know, they wouldn't be uh, jeering and yelling at the players to uh, step it up. And, And, you know, that is motivation for the guys out there on the pitch. So, uh, it is a massive development in multiple ways. We'll have to see how the situation develops. Just like here in the U.S., COVID could come back in the U.K. It's it's absolutely not out of the question. Um, and and uh, their prime minister Boris Johnson uh, is is taking a little bit of a risk here, but a risk that I think he hopes will kind of stimulate the economy of Britain and move things back to normal, which is a good sign. And the other. A uh, quick hit that I wanted to talk about, um, seeing as we're coming off of an international break, uh, and obviously there are more breaks throughout the season where the top players in the world are going to play for their international clubs, 
is um, a story that I saw uh, uh, about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's uh, travels with Gabon. Um, he, he plays, he's from France, but he plays for his, uh, for his, uh, for Gabon instead, where his family is from, and obviously a much smaller country, much less known national team, and they were stuck at an airport uh, overnight. He had to sleep on, on an airport floor, then the ne- then later in the week had to go play for his, interna- for his international team, and then, of course, came back for Arsenal this week. Um, and it just brings up the question of, right now with COVID, should players who don't who aren't playing in their native in their um in their club's country during the international break, should they be going overseas to play? It's a big question, especially with Mo Salah getting COVID and possibly bringing that to the Liverpool club and also infecting other Egypt players when they're on uh when when they are playing for the international team. It's really a big question of uh right now is that really the best thing to do? And with the Aubameyang story and also Salah and a couple other uh, uh, things that have come out throughout the week, I think the I think FIFA really needs to question whether international breaks are the right thing right now. Um, it's hurting the club teams, obviously. Liverpool, prime example. Um, and then, of course, Arsenal also. Uh, you know, Aubameyang played the full 90 minutes on uh, Sunday, but he just completely looked out of it. He didn't look right. He was tired. He wasn't the only, uh, only one, too. The, uh, Arsenal had two other players, uh, Kieran Tierney and Bukayo Saka, who both played, uh, I think, three matches for their international clubs, international teams, and then had to come back and play for the club the uh, the following sat- uh, Sunday off the break. So it's, it's a big question um, whether or not right now the international game should be scrapped as a USA fan, you know, I, I wouldn't want that. Um, I think, you, you know, any, any fan wants to see their their national team in action. It's it's great to see. But, um, yeah, I just I'm, – I'm personally of the opinion that uh, we need to put a hold on the international games for now. And uh, with the club scheduling being so tight, right now things should just really just be, be focused on the clubs and then – over the summer when Euros happen and, and some of the other international tournaments occur, then we'll get back to international football. All right, let's get into the first match breakdown of the week, Tottenham versus Man City, one of the more anticipated matchups of the season, at least in my book. Uh, two clubs that have really taken polar opposite routes to start this season, and, and those uh, opposing patterns kind of continued with this match, Tottenham winning 2-0, get themselves to top of the table. So I, I cannot believe that Tottenham is at the top of the table. I said at the start of the season that I didn't think they were going to be very successful. I thought they were a team that could even finish outside the top four. It's becoming pretty apparent that I'm wrong. This is a really, really well-built and well-managed Tottenham squad. They really bought into Mourinho, Mourinho's style, um, and it worked to perfection on Saturday against Man City. I think there is a perception out there that Mourinho's style and just uh, his overall coaching philosophy in general is outdated, and that and, and that, that's what a lot of people were saying when he came to Tottenham that you know he there uh, he needed to adopt his style of football uh, to what was being commonly played 
in the Premier League, actually really to match Pep Guardiola's style, that kind of Spanish-influenced, tiki-taka type of uh, fast-moving football. And Mourinho said no. Um, I'm going to I'm going to stick with what I what I know best, and that is the counterattack. And man, he is proving a lot of people wrong. Um, you know, Tottenham probably had maybe five like spurts of possession the entire game, uh, five good counterattacks, and they scored on three of them. One was wiped off on on offside, and the other two were goals. So you know it 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 is working and. Um, you know, credit to to Harry Kane and Hongmin Son for really buying into to their manager's philosophy. You know, even under Pochettino, I don't think you can say that Tottenham had this much of an identity now because they really have developed this counterattacking identity. This, I mean, I don't want to say park the bus, but this sit back and let the match come to you. Don't be ultra aggressive. Um, don't j- j- play smart football play defensive football, and you'll get out of a match with points, at least a draw or a win. And so far for Tottenham, it's been a lot of wins. After that comeback against West Ham, where they blew the 3-0 lead, I think people kind of counted Tottenham off. It looked like Chelsea. It looked like even Liverpool and Man City had better squads. And I think we were a little bit too fast to jump on that because they look like a serious Premier League title contender. And with all the injuries Liverpool has faced and with Man City's struggles and obviously losing on the weekend, it's hard for me to say those two clubs are better than Tottenham right now and have a better shot at the title than Tottenham right now. Um, so it's a, it's a great win for Spurs. And if they can continue this hot streak, they have Chelsea next week. That is a massive, massive matchup. Really excited for that. As a Chelsea fan, I want to beat Tottenham just as much as the next guy, but I think you kind of you have to appreciate what Mourinho is doing there and what he's building. And this this whole second season Mourinho thing, it is the real deal. Every second, every time he gets into that second season with a club, he's successful. Even at Man United, he didn't win the league, but he was second. With Chelsea, the first and second times, he won the league. With Napoli, second season, won the league. It's a consistent for him. He steps his game up in 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 the second season. And even though you know Tottenham is in the in the Europa, Europa League right now, so you think, oh, maybe you know, Mourinho kind of steps off of the break a little bit in the Europa League. Uh, it focuses more on the on the on the Prem. No, that's not the case. I mean, it's it's clear that he is going full throttle for Tot- for Tottenham. He wants to win that trophy really badly. Um, and Spurs fans, I think, have to feel really good right now about the direction of their club. On the other hand. It's kind of the opposite with Man City. I think the questions over Pep are about Pep are rising again. Even though he, I mean, he just signed a two-year extension, and uh, already I think uh, this was probably the worst possible outcome for him after signing that extension because Manchester City just looked out of it. They did. Offensively, they were engaged because that's that's who they are. They have some great attacking players. Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder in the Premier League. Gabriel uh, Gabriel Jesus up front. You know they have these players uh, that on the attack that are quality. But um, he was outmanaged. I mean that's through and through. He's he's been outmanaged several times throughout this season. Uh, and Man City fans should be concerned uh, because they just gave this man an extension, and he's still Pep Guardiola. He's still one of the best managers in the Premier League. But I think you have to just stop and look 
at how predictable Manchester City have been this season. Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa, they capitalized on Manchester City's faults on the back end. They managed to get a 1-1 draw, and now we see Tottenham do, do uh, take, take a similar approach. Even in the Liverpool game, uh, that was a depleted Liverpool side, and they were still able to attack Man, uh, Man City with relative ease and, and come out with the win. Or, sorry, draw. Uh, that was a, a draw, my bad. Um, but it is probably the worst possible start to the season if you're a Man City fan because they are in a really dangerous position right now, 11th in the Premier League. They've already dropped points to Liverpool. They've already dropped points now to Tottenham. That gap is going to be very difficult to make up. Uh, even even under the tutelage of Pep Guardiola, I know how good of a manager he is, but something just doesn't seem right. It, it really doesn't, and um, they just they, they they look flat. The signings that they made, Ruben Diaz, hasn't really worked out, or at least hasn't played up to the expectations that I think Pep had for him coming into the club. Um, and yeah, I mean, overall, it's a concerning situation if you're a Man City fan, um, because of, I mean, it's not just that they're 11th, but there's so much talent in the Premier League this season. You you just have to think how many, how many more points are are Man City going to drop until they turn this thing around? I mean, you know, they, they, they don't look on, on par with any of the, the big clubs right now. I'd say out of the out of the big six, they're probably second to last, only in front of Arsenal. Um, so you know, I think you even have to say, yeah, top four right now is is in question with Man City. I'm I'm confident they'll turn it around, but at this moment, right now, top four is in question, and the title just seems just seems completely lost. Um, I know it's early, but that's really the uh, the situation City has put themselves in. The second match of the week I'd like to get into is Arsenal versus Leeds. Man, was this match entertaining to watch on for multiple reasons. First of all, just the style of play of Leeds is so entertaining. Uh, they run a very, a, a, well, not a similar style as hot to Mourinho and Tottenham, but a, a similar counter-attacking based uh, uh, way of playing football that it's just, it's so entertaining to watch. They're they're clinical on the attack against Arsenal is really just that last shot, that last touch, the last finish that they just couldn't get down, and they hit the post like five times in a nil nil draw. First match of the season that uh, Leeds have been in that has ended without a goal on either side. Uh, they they normally either are giving up a lot of goals or are scoring a lot of goals in this match. Uh, no goals to be found. Um, they are off to a great start. They're well uh, outside of the relegation zone. Um, it's pretty clear now that Leeds belong in the Premier League and that they are here to stay. Uh, they are not going to be a yo-yo club. They're not going anywhere. Um, their biggest problem, I'd say, right now is they really could use another striker that that can reliably finish. Patrick Bamford is a great player, but um, throughout the course of the Premier League season, I think you have to question his ability to consistently score goals because even in the championship, he really wasn't able to keep his goal scoring up at a high level. Um, So, you know, to expect him to do it through 38 matches of Premier League play, it's a little much. I think in January, 
Bielsa should target a striker, and I think he will. Um, and once they get uh, another uh, forward to go alongside Bamford in the middle there, uh, that's a very, very strong Premier League team that I think we're going to see for years to come contend uh, and make make pushes at that top six range. Certainly top 10 for this season I think is, is absolutely a possibility, but uh, we'll have to see if they can continue this. And then on the Arsenal side, I mean, so much to get into. So I mean, it's it's just a collapse for them, and I've 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 as a Chelsea fan, I've listened to Arsenal fans for months and months talk about how Arteta is a better manager than Lampard, and how you know winning the FA Cup it's the best accomplishment that first year manager has achieved in a while, and how he's going to go on to do great things at Arsenal, and it's becoming more and more clear that this guy isn't quite who Arsenal fans hyped him up to be. Arteta is struggling, and he's struggling hard in the Premier League. Yeah, you get the FA Cup win, that's fine, but Premier League managers are measured on how they compete in the league. doesn't matter how many trophies you win, how many Carabao Cups you win, or FA Cups you win. How you perform in the league is the measure of how good you are as a manager, and so far, Arteta has not performed very well in the league. He's struggling again to get his team motivated. Granted, they're coming off of an international break, and I talked about Aubameyang and Saka and Tierney and a couple of, of their other guys. Partey, Thomas Partey, one of their best players, is out, was out for this match. So, you know, they were missing some players, but still, throughout the entire match, they just looked flat. I mean, it was it was uh, a little shocking, even as a Chelsea fan. Um, you know, you root for good football, and you root for the best to be played, um, the, or the best to come out of teams. And Arsenal just didn't have it. And to me, that points to the manager. Now, the big turning point of the game was the red card to Nicola Pepe. He was kind of in a in a little bit of a sparring match. John back and forth with Alioski all game. Uh, you kind of had a feeling that something was going to happen at some point between the two. They were going back and forth. And then... You know, we all know what happened. Pepe headbutted Alioski. It was clear. No question about it. Red card immediately. Uh, probably, uh, 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 I'm trying to remember who the referee was. Um, probably didn't even need to check the VAR. He did. Uh, but it was clear from the start that Pepe headbutted him. And uh, the, the, the match kind of, the three points at least for Arsenal kind of went out the window there. Pepe, I, I'm not sure what he's thinking. You, you cannot do something like that in the second half of a game where your team really needs three points. Remember, Arsenal lost uh, two weeks ago before the international break to Aston Villa 3-0. They really could have used um, at least a goal against Lees and 0-0. I know, I mean, it's a good result in the sense that with the circumstances they had down to 10 men, you want to come away with at least a point there, and they did. But uh, it's now been almost eight hours of open play without an Arsenal goal. That just can't happen. I mean, part of it is the situation that the players have put themselves in. Aubameyang and Lacazette have both missed chances over the past couple weeks, and and then, you know, Pepe with the red card. But to me, still, a lot of it falls on the manager. He just isn't getting the best out of the players right now. And it's quite frankly, in my opinion, unacceptable. Arteta was touted as this player's manager, he came into Arsenal after working under Pep, um, and maybe the expectations were too high. You know, it is Arsenal. They're 
their fans are delusional. I don't think that's uh, that's an exaggeration. They just are. They expect a lot from from the club and from their manager. But uh, he he's he's. I'm not gonna fully say he should be sacked, but day by day, it's becoming more clear that he's not this wonder manager that Arsenal fans were making him out to be. He's just not. With all that being said, the number one thing that Arsenal, the club, the higher-ups need to do in the coming weeks and months is is support this guy. They need to keep giving him money so he can make moves to improve the club. That was a big issue before this summer transfer window, and over the summer they did that. Uh, Stan Kroenke, the American owner, um, who also owns a couple of, of, of teams in L.A. and Colorado, uh, he finally backed a manager and gave Arteta some uh, some resources to use and go out and get Thomas Partey and re-sign Aubameyang and that really needs to continue because right now the roster they have it isn't cutting it whether it's Arteta the players whoever it's just not working out right now and that's clear and it's unfortunate because now they have to wait until January to really do anything but uh, you know they're stuck with this they're stuck with William for two more years. I mean, what were they thinking with that signing? I have no idea. That was a terrible signing. They could have gotten much better play, uh, a much better player, a much younger player too, to step into that role. I know William has his moments at times, and he, you know, he started off the Premier League season with two assists, but uh, he he just isn't it in the midfield. They need some more creativity there, and 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 we'll see. You know, Thomas Partey is going to come back, and we'll see if he adds uh, uh, some more flair and some more offensive of offensive ability, excuse me, uh, to the midfield. All right, third and final match review for this week, and there's really only one major match to talk about, uh, Liverpool versus Leicester. Uh, formerly top of the table Leicester, by the way. Uh, they have started off really hot, and have, as have Liverpool, so I think I, I certainly expected this to be a much tighter game than it ended out to be Liverpool getting a 3-0 win. You kind of just have to sit back and appreciate the greatness of Jurgen Klopp because they're missing so many key players right now. Uh, outside of Salah, who has COVID, Trent and, and Van Dijk are out with injury. Um, they uh, lost Keita, their midfielder, in the, in, in the middle of this match. So, uh, you know, they're, they're missing so many key players, and they managed to do this. And... Uh, you know, one of the reasons why is because of their depth. I've talked about it before. Their depth is incredible. They're the deepest club in the Premier League. It's why they won the title last year. And this year they have maybe the best player off the bench in all of Europe, Diego, Diego Jata. How they managed to sign him from Wolves for only £10 million, pounds, I'll, I'll never know. Because that is the best signing of the summer by far. There are better players than him, maybe, but you're not going to find a more a, a, a better value signing than Diego Jada, maybe in 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 the entire world. Because, uh, man, the impact he's made for Liverpool is immense. Coming off the bench at that forward position, uh, a a grouping that's already so deep with Firmino, Salah, and Mane. Now they add Jata in there, and it's it's unstoppable because you lose one and you just have another guy plug in place, put pl- pl- uh, put him in. And uh, and and Liverpool's still humming. They got they got an early break. Granted, um, uh, Leicester with an own goal. Uh, Johnny Evans, not sure what he was doing, kind of just headed it into his own goal. Um, 
but uh, so, so they got some luck there, and then uh, in the second half, and and Ojeda scored right before the second half, and then uh, they kind of just dominated the rest of the match. You know, it's it's you just gotta marvel at uh at, at their ability. I mean, it's incredible with the kind of emergence of you know Tottenham and Chelsea. I think you, I certainly would have expected Liverpool to kind of take a back seat, especially with these injuries. But that is absolutely not the case. They're more determined to win a second title than ever. Um, they look, I mean, about as good as they did, as they have all season. I mean, Leicester is not a, a, a shabby club. Um, they've gotten some really big results throughout the year too, and uh, to go in to to win at Anfield three 0 against a club like Leicester, that's that's a massive result. And Jurgen Klopp has talked so much about the scheduling and so much about how his team is fatigued and their fitness is low, and, and it doesn't matter because every time he comes out and manages his team to a win. I'm not sure who's stopping Liverpool right now. They're still, I mean, they're, they, they're still one out of three clubs that are in the driver's seat, and you can definitely make a case that they are number one. They still should be the favorite to win the Premier League title. Um, Trent is eventually going to come back and, uh, you know, there are some rumors out there that Van Dyke is already in, in rehabilitation training. So who knows, maybe he comes back this season. And if that's the case, then, uh, no one's stopping Liverpool because they're, that club is so deep. They're so well managed. They're so well trained and, uh, they look dominant and Leicester going forward. I mean, I think it's hard to imagine them continuing, their dominance from the start of the season, but they are a good club. They're going to make a top four run for sure. Jamie Vardy is still uh, one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Um, but I think Brendan Rodgers kind of, uh, he made some questionable decisions. I thought his lineup was a little strange. Um, you know, just, just why it was a little bit conservative to me. Why take that approach uh, when... You're facing Liverpool, the reigning champions, and the team a team that's near the top of the table. Um, it was a little conservative. I know that's the way he likes to play, but uh, it didn't really work out, and they they weren't really too able to generate any sort of offensive attack. And as a result, they lose. And uh, going forward, we'll have to see if they can uh, uh, kind of pick up the offense a little. Everything goes through Vardy. That's just how it is. But they could really use that second man, similar to a team like Leeds, a second striker that is there to to help Vardy and uh, maybe put some some balls in the back of the net. Getting into some of the other matches from the weekend, Chelsea getting a two 0 result against Newcastle. Uh, it was a, it was a little bit nerve wracking there in the first half. They kind they weren't uh they've they've struggled at St James's Park in recent years, which is why going into the match, uh, I was I was certainly nervous as a Chelsea fan that. Uh, they were going to uh, maybe drop points and, and possibly lose because it's not out of the question when Chelsea head up to Newcastle. But uh, they managed to beat their demons and get a 2-0 win. T- uh, Timo Werner with a brilliant run to set up Tammy Abraham for the second goal. I mean, I, I know people at the start of the season were criticizing Timo for not scoring enough. But really, as you watch Chelsea more and more, you see that's just not his game. He's not a pure scorer. He's... He's a terrific dribbler, a terrific uh, uh, runner across the pitch. He sets up other guys, and uh, if Tammy Abraham can kind of, can improve into that uh, true striker kind of role, 
uh, then uh, look out because Chelsea are going to have the best attack in the Premier League, no question. They might already have it, uh, I, you know, with, with Ziyech and Havertz and uh, Pulisic hopefully coming back with the beard at some point. But uh, uh, things are looking good for Chelsea. It's certainly encouraging to see them hold another clean sheet against a Premier League club that they've struggled against in the past couple years. A surprisingly close match from the weekend was Fulham versus Everton. It uh, it was a lot closer than I certainly thought, with uh, Everton kind of struggling. You know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and James were still playing excellent, but that supporting cast uh, didn't really step up like we've seen them do all season. And as a result, this match was much closer, and actually Fulham had a chance to tie it with a penalty. And, well, if you've seen Fulham take penalties recently, you probably can guess that it wasn't converted. That team can uh, just not figure out how to convert a penalty. And they missed another one against Everton. But, uh, you know, some of their some of their players really stepped up in this match, and it was impressive to see Fulham keep it close with uh, a team that we I think we can now say is one of the upper tier teams in the Premier League, top ten at least. Um, a key a key player for Fulham in their match was uh, Chelsea loan Ruben Loftus Cheek. hasn't really produced yet for Fulham, um, and he did in this match. He got a goal. He was he was running around all over the pitch. Uh, played a really nice match, and if he can continue to score goals and to step up, then uh, who knows? Maybe Fulham. Uh, makes it out of relegation currently they're not in the zone but um i think you know most people including myself expect them by the end of the season to end up there but it's it's a it was a good result for fulham you still have to take the uh the the moral gains out of it even with the loss and for everton uh too close for comfort they, they've got to be better they got to turn things around carlo ancelotti has to figure out um how to shore up that back line and uh, kind of get back to that Hamas, uh, you know, the the Hamas-oriented wing play that they were so successful at sex, successful with at the start of the season. A couple of the other matches from the weekend, Brighton getting a 2-1 victory over Aston Villa. It was close throughout the entire match. Aston Villa actually had a penalty call that was overturned uh, that you'd presume would, uh, would have tied it up for them, but unfortunately they go home without any points. Uh, uh, Southampton 1-1 against Wolves, a really entertaining match um, with uh, Neto scoring the tying goal for Wolves. Theo Walcott getting his first goal back with Southampton on loan from Everton. And finally, Burnley gets their first win of the Premier League season, 1-0 over Crystal Palace. Always forgotten Burnley, but they do have a really, really strong defense, and if they can start scoring goals at 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 least a moderate clip, then uh, they'll they will survive relegation. I still think uh, they're they're going to stay up at the end of the season, even though they've gotten off to a slow start. That's gonna do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me, Sam Culp, at Culp underscore Sam on Twitter. You can also follow WMUC Sports on Twitter at WMUC Sports. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and I'll talk to you next week.